Welcome to Lumpen Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on WLPN. This week, Lumpen Radio spoke to a legendary local politician, heard from Cumbia legends Los Mirlos, and listened to new music from a rising local star. All this plus the Trump Diaries and much more, only on the Lumpen Week in Review for June 29, 2018. Mario Smith spoke with perennial candidate Willie Wilson. Wilson discussed his many attempts at running for public office, why this year can be different, and what he would bring to City Hall. News from the service entrance with Mario Smith airs every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pleased to introduce to you mayoral candidate Dr. Willie Wilson. Good afternoon, Dr. Wilson. Hey, good afternoon. How you doing? I'm wonderful, man. It's good to hear your voice. I'm glad that you're on the show today. Thank you so much. I know that you're busy, and I know you took some time out to be here, so I am very grateful. Thank you very much. No problem at all. Thank you. So here it is. You are one of 755,000 candidates running for mayor. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's a it's a big job and it's a great job if you can get it. It's almost like being coach of the Chicago Bears. If if you have the opportunity to get that job, you, you kind of want it. But one of the things I want to ask you is in light of all that has happened in the manual administration and. um particularly where you, you have been standing out with, with uh, providing bonds for prisoners. Um, how can we make this situation better here in Chicago where we can have a little bit more equanimity, where, where people who don't have can have some resources and the people who have can be willing to help out those that don't? How do we, how do, we do that here in town? Well, uh, well, well the, 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 the thing is that I think that Chicago is such a, a uh, certain neighborhood that is in Chicago in real bad shape because no, no, uh, no, no job, no equality in contracts and things of that nature. It, it, it does take government and people to make things better. Uh, if you got the right leadership up there, then everything becomes better because that way, the right leadership makes sure that economically speaking, and all social service speaking. Is, is representing all the community in an equitable, uh, uh, fairly basis. And and so, but when you take from certain communities and don't put back in there, and I mean like the tax dollars in the case here, you don't put back in there, the community begin to stop itself, and people always will struggle and for work and job, and the only thing they got resources to go to is drugs and robbing one another. Have you an idea of how you want to, if you even want to, um, redesign the Chicago public school system? Yes. Well, first thing about it is I would have an elected school board because that way it puts it right back into the community where the parents and the kids live in the community and the school in the community make their decisions for itself. Uh, versus the mayor you got right now do not have a electrical board. He got his hands on everything. Uh, he put people in position. Therefore, a lot of things, uh, economically speaking, uh, don't get to the community. And the community suffers behind it. As, as you know, this sex situation here, they got some powers that you don't, you don't tell people what's going on. Well, if you got an electrical board, they're not going to allow that to happen. Uh, don't play politics with our kids, you know. So we would we would open up electric school boys so they can people can do their thing within the community and protect their kids, protect their neighborhood, and make a uh, making sure that the equipment for like for example technology, technology and trade schools. If you're in the community and electric school board, you're gonna make sure you got the right technology in those schools for your kids. You know, you're gonna make sure that everything is done fairly that you ain't got all book and no computers, you know, mm. as, as they have up north side and different areas uh, of, of Chicago, the pretty uh, wealthy neighborhood. And you make those conditions much better that way. And then you take them, get involved with the mayor, got to show leadership. And this mayor here have not done that. Lastly on that subject is that you won't take the school teacher and the five uh, uh, people and, and that take their pension and take that money out and invest in somewhere else, their pension, and now you can't pay it back. You don't do mm -hmm. no stuff like that, you know? So right. 
this is all mismanagement that the marriage you got now. I would change all of that. Uh, I'm not running for, uh, to make a job to make money. I'm running for the people. I'm coming out of retirement just to, uh, to do this to help the city of Chicago reflect all of, of its citizens. Mikayla, go ahead. Okay. Um, Dr. Wilson, yes, thanks again for joining us. Um, I just want to know... Uh, everybody sort of brings their own angle to their approach to what they're going to do for mayor. Can you give a little background? You're, you're, I think you bring one of the best um, rags to riches stories and, and, a, and a self-made man story to the table. Can you tell your story a little bit? And then what, what do you think you're going to add to the conversation of mayor? Um, you know, uh, there's, we have a candidate that really knows all, everything about education. We have a candidate that knows all about the police force. Um, can you give a little background and then say what you're going to bring to the discussion that's different for mayor? Well, I, I say to everybody that asked me that, I say, everybody else saying what they going to do, I say look at my record what I've already have done. You know, it speaks for itself. For example, mm-hmm. the, the nonviolent misdemeanor. I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars of my own money to get those kids out of jail. I went back and got the governor to sign a bill so they won't be disseminated because of, of, of money. I, I got that bill passed not even in the office. I went, we went back and got the, the, the fair practice agreement out here for to get jobs equally and contract. For African American, this case here because they were so far down on the pole, and got that bill passed and got an executive order uh, as well. We went back and, and and gotten the governor himself to donate to to some of these these property taxes to help save some people homes and things of that nature as well. And then on top of that, I go around. We support education. We support neighborhood situation, and I'm putting out my money. Not nothing coming in. I'm doing this voluntarily, all right? I don't know nobody else doing that. And if you take the mayor right now, what he's doing, he's in certain neighborhoods, but not in other neighborhoods. And, and then another thing, too, I've hired over hundreds of thousands of people for employment and job in my business. I'm the only one got a business experience out here, including the mayor. <laughs> when we, we fix the problem, we, we have to fix it by balancing our budget. When this mayor here picked the problem, he raised everybody's taxes. You know, I wouldn't raise taxes on people because the fact of it is that when you raise taxes, you run people to Indiana and other places in Michigan to purchase your food and stuff over there. Mm. Uh, I, I wouldn't raise it. I mean, you raise taxes, you run people out of the neighborhood, but you lower tax people stay in the neighborhood and shop within the neighborhood. Then you create jobs by in terms of making everything equal and fairly by bringing in new businesses. How will we bring in new businesses? Well, mm-hmm. I would take, let's take an example, you open up Midway, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Mag Steel Airport. Well, they did $400 million last time they closed. They closed that down, not this mayor, but the previous mayor. Well, you take and open it back up, but make sure the citizen owns it. You know, African-American ownership, white ownership. Latina, Asian, other ownership. Make sure they own it. Then they run it right, but the money flows back into the community. You know, bring a bring a casino in here, because they go right over to Hammond, Indiana, and, 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 and Gamma, mm-hmm. make money off, take those billions of dollars and put it into the school system, help pay the school teaching, fire department, pension, things of that nature, have everybody included into it, uh, working together, you create job and growth there, you, you you would do things of that nature to make sure that everything reflects his people by having them involved. And, and then right. last, <laughs> no race, no sales tax, or property tax, or nothing like that to run people out of their home and run them out of Chicago.
Going Left spoke with author and coach Russ Bradbird. Bradbird discussed the tragic story of Hoop Dream subject Sean Harrington, the violence bedeviling Chicago's playgrounds, and the beauty of basketball. Hitting Left with the Consequently Bot. Hitting Left spoke with author and coach Russ Bradbird. Bradbird discussed the tragic story of Hoop Dream subject Sean Harrington, the violence bedeviling Chicago's playgrounds, and the beauty of basketball. Hitting Left with the Klonsky Brothers airs every Friday at 11 a.m. Russ Bradbird, uh, I don't know, should I introduce you as a, a coach, an author, or what? Well, I haven't coached for, for nearly 20 years, so how about, how about author? Uh, but, but I want to say, uh, I want you to say a little about your, your coaching career. You were at uh, UTEP. Yes. Well, I, I started at, at Von Steuben, of all things. I was the youngest coach in the history of the public league. I, I was 22 years old as a head public league coach, and then... Uh, then, uh, but wound up at UTEP at, at age 24, uh, uh, just wrote a letter to Don Haskins, the famous coach who helped desegregate college basketball. I was going to say, UTEP has, a, has an interesting uh, history of its own yes. in, the, in, in well, terms Texas, of the racial history of America, yes, right? For, that was uh, Texas Western, right? At that time, yeah. yeah. And so I, went, I, wrote the, I wrote the letter to Don Haskins, and Tim Floyd got a hold of it. Remember Tim Floyd that was yeah. the Bulls coach? Yeah, briefly? Bulls coach. And he talked Haskins into taking a chance on me. So I went down there as a graduate assistant, but pretty quickly – you know, this guy quit and something happened. So the next thing you know, I'm out recruiting at age 24 or 25, I guess, when I started recruiting. And you you, you discovered uh, the potential of Chicago players uh, and created kind of a pipeline. Out yeah, there. and I, I really I didn't know where else to go. And so I just thought I knew I knew the lay of the land here. And so I knew, you know, to say, for example, if a kid averaged 11 or 12 points a game in Marshall, he could very well be a Division One player, but a guy could average – a 30 a game at Francis Parker and not be good enough for a small college. So you, part of it is just knowing uh, this is why I was never effective in L.A. is that I, every player I ever got from Los Angeles I struck out on. They were they, just, they came up as a zero. But Chicago, I, I knew the lay of the land and I knew I just understood what certain statistics. Is that because you didn't know L.A.? Is yeah, that that's right. Yeah. Is that a, a guy could average 30 a game at, at uh, Crossroads Academy in Santa Monica, but that didn't mean anything compared to 10 points a game at Fairfax or that. I just didn't understand, didn't know the people. But in Chicago, I could talk the talk and, and, and I just have to tell you that when you just said that, that about 10 points at Fairfax is that what you averaged uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where the gym was at, when I was a student at Fairfax oh, yeah. and uh, although all of my friends played played basketball um, it was in played the it was me. in the it was just a lucky western guess, right? co- it was the western the western league uh, against places like uh, you know uh, Palisades High School and oh, yeah. uh, Hollywood High yeah. and, oh, Ham- and a certain school another high school called Hamilton High but that's uh, where uh, I went but oh, yeah. these were not it was all it was, in those days unlike now it was like uh, we say predominantly Jewish, and really we mean all Jewish. Yeah. Uh, and all right. our basketball. Was. We're not going to get. Am, in, I, am I? We're not going to get into. Am I going I, off I on a tangent? I, I never thought I would stop Fred from going off on a tangent about L.A. high school basketball. <laughs> uh, there it is. But you were smart enough to know Tim Hardaway was a, a, a good hooper. Well, and there was a him. lot of luck involved there. He was my first recruit, and just I saw him at a, a playground in uh, at South Shore at the park at South Shore Park, and just sort of couldn't believe my eyes how good he was. And so went and saw him again the next day at the South Shore YMCA, and that's where I met Ben Wilson that day. I'd never met him before uh, or since. Yeah. It was a few months before he got Tell killed. Tell people. To- Briefly about the well, Ben, ben Wilson. Wilson's he's story. actually an important part of the new book about yeah. the gun violence book. That Ben was regarded by many to be the best high school player in in America. And walking down the street one day in high school, he bumped into a guy who got mad and, and shot him. And Ben laid on the operating table for three hours. And so this is what's one of the things that we're getting ahead of ourselves. But this is one of the things that's changed in Chicago, Fred. Is that it used to be when your grandfather got shot in the toe in World War One, he bled out on the battlefield. But because of Ben Wilson, he, he, he laid on the operating table for three hours waiting for a doctor to come and died. And because of that, there's a lawsuit. Now there's trauma units everywhere. And so now, in my book, this kid, there's a kid who takes six bullets, you know, two in the face, two in the chest, and lives. And so the, the technology has changed greatly because it's of Ben Wilson. It's kind of a good news, bad news story in a way, is that imagine a city in which, in which uh, uh, the good news is that we have trauma units available for the large number of kids that get, sh- get shot and bl- and so they don't bleed to death. Yes, that, that's well. That's, that's right. why the that's why the murder rate has gone down. It's actually a little bit down. Yes, but that's a it's a it's sort of a false statistic. It's like right. saying that the Bulls have better three point shooters today than they did in 1960. Well, there was no three point shot in 1960, <laughs> so it's sort of a false statistic. And because of the trauma units now, the, it it sort of masks the the killing that. Well, should you be take going you on. take the, the statistics from last weekend, for example, 
Russ. Uh, we had uh, we had uh, sixty five people shot, ten died, and uh, fifty five wounded. Yes, but had that been twenty years ago, the, you know, it's true that there would have been more deaths. Still pretty ghastly to yes. think about those numbers, yes. isn't it? Uh, uh, your your career at uh, at UTEP didn't end on a a good note. No, I, although I do like to say it's a sunshiny way to let me let me brighten things up a little here. <laughs> I, I, I did. I had eight great years and one bad afternoon. I, I, I wound up getting fired at UTEP for I was accused of giving players rides to their summer jobs. How could you? How could you do such yes, a thing? Which uh, me and another assistant coach, uh, and, and so we lost our jobs over it, and then. Because uh, that was against NCAA rules. Yes, although now it's legal, so it was sort of a uh, I don't know if you could get grandfathered in or out, whatever you'd call <laughs> that. But but now it's now it's legal to do that. But I was accused. I'd of, give you a medal for that. Thank uh, you. Uh, uh, you know, at a lot of schools, kids had you know they were getting cars, and you wouldn't have to drive them. But yeah, so we we'd run. You know, every every few days, somebody would get call and say, "My girlfriend can't come get me. Can you come pick me up at work?" That was illegal at the time, so I had a bad taste in my mouth, partly because I never made much money. But we I had a we had a lot of success with mostly Chicago kids. We, we went to seven NCAA tournaments in a row. Well, the ethical level of the leadership of the NCAA is so high that I could see why they might object to that. Isn't it? It's amazing. The head of the NCAA makes $2 million a year, but they call it it's amateur sports. <laughs> yeah. So then, uh, so then, you went over to New Mexico State. Yeah, well, I, I came back to Chicago and did oh. that that newsletter for two years. I did a newsletter called the Chicago Prep Magnet, oh, right. and that so I already knew Chicago basketball well. But then I really dug in. I was going to two or three games a day, and uh, uh, games on the weekends and summer leagues and this and that. And so I really got to know. You know, I was always very proud of when I'd get to the when I was recruiting. I never needed a map from the rental car counter. You know, they always said, "Do you want? Do you need a map?" Nope, don't need a map. I probably should have got one, but I just had this point of pride. You know, when I was in L.A., I needed the map for sure. But just uh, so I did the newsletter for a couple of years, and that's where I first, you know, the the subject of the book, all the dreams we've dreamed, is this Sean Harrington, and that's where I first saw Sean Harrington play. I was doing the newsletter uh, and selling it. That time was before the internet, a little bit before the internet, so it was selling. And you um, saw Sean playing at Marshall. That's right. And so I had the monthly subscription. So, I, you know, it's called the Chicago Prep Magnet. And I, was, I saw Sean play a dozen times. At and what Marshall. was your impressions of Sean? Well, first, my the first impression was what a what a unified and solid team they were. As they were, you know, Marshall was the, they were the kind of team. They were all smaller than everybody else. And they, uh, but they were cohesive and they didn't panic. When everybody else panicked, they didn't panic. And they were cool and tough and, and but but the leader of the team now at that time he was only five nine and maybe one hundred and forty pounds but he was he wasn't the most highly uh, he didn't have the highest reputation on the team but he was clearly the brains of the outfit uh, the brains of the outfit on a really smart team. And uh, I, I always remember Marshall being that way. I remember when they challenged uh, King, for example, and King had those two big seven foot yes. guys. Well, Sean was on that team. Yeah, yeah, and, and they went and, into uh, double Sean, or triple they, I think overtime. they beat King once and. Yes. Maybe took them to overtime yes, a couple of times. Yes, it went into overtime in the city playoffs. And so some people think it was the greatest game in Chicago public history. I saw history. that game, yeah, yeah. 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 I didn't. Oh, you didn't? Yeah. <laughs> but, but I saw Marshall play a bunch that year and King play a bunch So you year. saw Sean and uh, – and then, uh, then what happened? Well, then, the, then, the, then, then, and there's a Chicago link here. Is then uh, uh, the job opened at New Mexico State, and the reason the job opened is that, you know Tim Floyd got the uh, Iowa State job, and so I thought I'd worked with Tim at, at University of Texas El Paso. So I called Tim. I thought my ship is coming. I'm going to Iowa State with Tim Floyd. I called Tim and said, Tim, I'm ready to make my comeback, and he said, Russ. The thing is, we've got nine seniors at Iowa State. I need a junior college recruiter, and Gar Foreman is the best junior college recruiter in the country. I'm going to hire Gar Foreman. So I hung up disappointed, not angry, but disappointed. Gar Foreman is now the uh, general manager, general of, the manager of the Bulls. Yes. Yeah. And so, so, but I knew that Gar Foreman was leaving before the people at New Mexico State did. So I started calling them and talking, and if there's ever a job. So I just got my foot in the door early, and uh, because oftentimes on these job things, you have to anticipate the opening. If you, if you call after you hear that someone got the job, it's probably too late. And so I wound up getting the job at New Mexico State. And so the first thing I did was thought, well, we need a point guard. I'm going to start calling Sean Harrington. Can I take a side? One of the things I learned from the book or, or took away from the book was kind of the role of, of, of the junior colleges within, in, this whole, in this whole process. Can you talk, 
talk about that a little bit? Well, because of the test scores, you know, the SAT and ACT test scores, a lot of Chicago kids wind up in junior college before they go to four-year schools. And so it was a common route. Like Sean was a, a very good student in high school, but he was a point short on the you know, SAT or ACT, I don't remember now which, which one, but it's a, it's a common route that, that, ki- that kids go through. And so Sean went to Mineral Area Junior College, a school in, in, in Missouri, Flat River, Missouri. There's actually a clan. <laughs> there's actually a, it was Flat River then, but it's called Park Hills. Now, there's a clan stronghold in Park Hills or Flat River, depending on, you know, if you're I never school. even heard. I, I couldn't even imagine a Chicago <laughs> kid going to Mineral Area Junior College in uh, whatever that's it, But it's well, it's a it's a common route where I you know, know it's a basketball school, right? That's right. Well, they all, but they, you know, that's many what I mean. Are. But you there's can, this whole there's this whole process. Yes, of, you could wind of, up in Dodge City, Kansas, or or or, or, or you know, or uh, you know, Yuma, Arizona, or, or Midland, Texas. There's these small towns that have junior college powerhouses, and the kids get full scholarships. And and Arthur Ag had gone to Mineral yes. area, right? and Arthur was of course the star of Hoop Dreams. With and one of the things I got uh, I, in reading your book is. How common one of the one of the issues is is that 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 uh, black parents, black mothers, wanted their kids out of here. They like they in the choice between say going to uh, UIC downtown and and going to uh, Flat River or wherever. It's, the, it's one. They of the wanted reasons, them out. That's right. It's one of the reasons New Mexico State and UTEP. I worked at both places, and they're very remote. But that could sometimes be an advantage, is that, and it's also why football at those schools has struggled. If you think about football culture, it's more suburban, not public league. It's two parents at home, and then mom, want, mom and dad want to see. They want to drive and tailgate at the game. That's a that's a football phenomenon. But in in basketball, it's often inner city kids. And I knew as a recruiter in, in the old days, if a kid didn't have a three one two area code, I just thought I'm not going to waste my time because I know mom is going to want to see him play if he's a suburban kid. And it, it, with the city kids, it was the common thing I heard. Nearly every Chicago parent I ever met, I want them to go as far away from here as possible. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine living in a neighborhood where the goal was to get out of the to neighborhood? To get out of there. Yes. Yeah. Well, this, uh, this kind of brings us to uh, uh, what happened to Sean. So Sean went and played, uh, played for you out in New Mexico. Yes. Comes back home. And, uh, and tell us what happened to him. Well, well the, the story was is complicated a little bit in that Sean was led the, our team in scoring and steals and assists at New Mexico State and then didn't come back for his senior year, which we can get into. But but at the heart of the book, All the Dreams We've Dreamed, is this incident where it's the central event in the book, and it happens early in the book, so it's not really a spoiler. But Sean was driving his daughter to school at Westinghouse, which is pretty close to Marshall, where he works as a as a, as a assistant in the special ed classes. And he's driving his daughter to school at 7.30 in the morning, but he was in a rental car. So not his normal car, just sort of a nondescript white sedan, not his usual distinct car. And these guys, in a mistaken identity, they run up to the car and start shooting. He dives on top of his daughter, covers her up, pushes her down. A bullet goes through her headrest, so it would have hit her in the face. Uh, uh, A bullet goes through her headrest, and uh, he pushes her down, takes, but he takes a bullet in the back. Takes two bullets, one in the shoulder, one in the back, and one hit his, uh, spi- the spinal cord. And with this episode of Size Matters, I'm Jess. I'm Kyle. Uh, See you next time. We're out. Very short night, guys. Thanks. Roger, right? Yeah. Nice to meet you both. Yeah, take it easy. Ciao, dude. Ah, uh, oh, Jamie, come here for a sec. <clears throat> Did you guys finally record something? Yeah, yeah, but it's horrible and full of yawns. Hey, weird question. Can I fire that engineer? Why? He was tired and yawning, which made us tired and yawning. Look, guys, he has a condition where he always looks and sounds like he's yawning. Get the rock out of here. That sounds like a load of bullshit. It's real. Look, please try not to make this into a thing. He's he's pretty sensitive about it. Okay, but the thing that I'm making is that yawning is scientifically contagious. I don't want to we was y- We was yawning through the whole recording process. It's unusable. Look, stop. Yawning is not contagious. That's a myth. And, and please don't... Oh, look, here, here comes Roger. Hey, guys, how's it going? I'm friggin' exhausted. Quit it. Yeah, it was a long session. Jamie, can I, can I check out the DI box? I'm going to combo tomorrow. Yeah, they're in the... <laughs> Excuse me. Um, they're in the... Oh, they're behind the... Okay. 
I know what you're doing. No, no, dude, I'm not making fun of you. It's just... Yawning is contagious. You guys suck. Tell you what. Do his brain not get enough oxygen or something? Great. He's gone. Problem solved. Excellent work, Jamie. He's not gone, Jess. Roger's the best damn engineer in Chicago, and you guys better make it up to him somehow. What? How? Mmm. Uh-huh. Station manager privileges here. He's your guest for the next week. That is f- Size matters. Size matters. Smith, Kyle, Seisman, Kowski. Welcome back to Size Matters. I'm your host, Kyle. And I'm Jess. This week we're turning the mics around and talking to our engineer, Roger Huber. The episode about Bridgeport Squirrels will be heard next week. Maybe. Roger, you've been a part of the recording scene for about 20 years, correct? Yes, that is correct. Mostly recording classical music. That's not a surprise. Listen. I know you guys are doing this as a favor to Jamie, so I don't quit. Yes, that's the truth. The congratulations. <laughs> yeah, how do you feel about that? Yeah, do people often do things for you out of pity and whatnot? I have a very weird condition where it appears as though I am yawning. Go on. I'm only one of four people on the planet who has this disorder uh, and is yet to be uh, named. Uh, uh, Alright, what else? In the past few years, I have become a motivational speaker and also a scientist who conducts sleep studies. Scintillating. That's great. Uh, it is. Jamie, how is traffic out there on the roads? Uh, well, multiple accidents seem to be popping up on Lakeshore Drive, uh, the Ike, Cermak, Halstead, Loomis, and oh. Oh, right no. outside the studio. That's not good. Time for some live reporting. It looks like they're coming in here. What's the meaning of this? We were just giving a traffic report. Oh, what's with this snooze fest you got on? Who do you think you are? Who am I? I'm Eddie Sundown. Who? He was on Size Matters episode number 50. Go back and listen to it for a point of reference, you nerd. You what? That's right, fella. I help people fall asleep. I don't put them to sleep like you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard all about it. Even bored me so much I crashed my car. Maybe you fell asleep at the wheel, Nibron. Do you really think you can make me fall asleep? What the? Uh, guys, let's cut to underwriting announcements and stuff. <sighs> is this thing? Lumpin' Radio is brought to you by Undertown's Lem Shems and Carmichael's. Caring for your Shemp area since 1966, Lem Shemp's provide trusses, harnesses, goat powders, lifts, towelettes, specifics, and more. <sighs> Just past Diaper Hill, it's Lem Shemp's and Carbonicles. Love your Shemp. And we're back. Let's see if Roger has what it takes to talk Kyle to sleep. Ain't gonna happen. I don't know, Eddie. He's pretty... Ugh... <sighs> Uh, good at what he does. Kyle, you gotta stay awake. Don't make me look bad here. You know what? I'm already so tired of all this. <laughs> Let's just do it. We're gonna put one minute on the clock. Ready, set, sleep. You know, this is actually one heck of a challenge, Jess. This could unseat Eddie Sundown as Bridgeport Sandman. You can really see Eddie wanting to intervene here. This is tough to watch. I mean, what is Roger even talking about? Actually, I have no idea. His yawns are so contagious and he is so boring. Yeah, for years leading up to this event. Sorry, Jess. Hmm. Kyle suffered from sleep disorders. I was not aware of that. You know, Eddie Sundown's sleeper holds are pretty much the only thing that gets Kyle an honest night's sleep, as heard in Size Matters 35. Well, it looks like Kyle is... Yep, he's asleep. Dang it! He took down and he sat down! You think you got a gift? There's only one Sandman in Bridgeport. Me! This ain't over, not by a long... Stop yawning! Okay, guys, chill down. Um, Jamie, what's up with Kyle? Wow, Kyle's sleepwalking. He's about to go full-on night terror if I don't do something fast. I got this. Step aside. Kyle, the tutor is Henry Davis Thoreau. That's the way he called it deliberate life on the shore of Walden Pond. 
a quaint little nice. spot on his property of his. Nice. Bro. I'll, I'll distract him. Eddie, you circle around. Somebody just shake him. Won't work. He's a deep sleeper. Hey, Kyle. Kyle, over here. Hey. Oh, it's like he's a zombie. Can he see us? He can only see whatever's in the nightmare. Hey, Kyle. Back off. I will karate chop you right in the... No, no. Eddie, now, apply the sleeper hold. What, what is happening? This should help me set a sleep cycle. What happened? You had a night terror. Oh, that was crazy. And my chokehold is still the number one sleep aid in Bridgeport. Roger. <sighs> Excuse me. You're fired. This week on the Trump Diaries, Trump says immigrants should be denied due process and that immigration judges are corrupt. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is bounced from a restaurant. David Bossie goes out of his cotton-picking mind. And I don't care, do you? Melania's jacket sends a message. These are the Trump Diaries. Day 518, June 21st. Trump signed an executive order reversing his own policy of separating families at the border. Trump claimed it would solve that problem of children being separated from their parents in a humiliating walkdown. Trump had previously claimed only Congress could do that, and furthermore, Democrats were responsible. Trump's policy of separating children cost the United States significantly more than it would have had families been kept together. Costs per child were around $775, whereas area motels, which used to house families waiting for immigration judges, cost just $49. And Melania Trump made an unannounced visit to a detention center for immigrant children wearing a jacket that said, quote, I don't really care, do you? The $39 jacket from Zara was obviously on display as pictures of the First Lady are rare, making it a deliberate statement. Melania's spokeswoman said in response to questions simply, it's a jacket. Trump himself, however, tweeted that Melania's jacket refers to the fake news media. She has learned how dishonest they are and she no longer truly cares. Melania herself did not comment. And Ivanka Trump thanked her dad for ending his family separation policy on Twitter. She then called on Congress to find a lasting solution that is consistent with our shared values. Trump's former campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, tweeted womp womp to a 10-year-old girl with Down syndrome who was separated from her parents. Lewandowski tried to walk the tweet back later, claiming he had, quote, mocked a liberal who attempted to politicize children. Meanwhile, immigrants as young as 14 years old housed at a detention center in Virginia say they were beaten while in handcuffs, stripped nude, and placed in cold, solitary confinement cells. 2,300 separated children still remain without their families. Military bases have been told to prepare to house 20,000 minors. Mueller subpoenaed the publisher of the National Enquirer as part of the investigation into Michael Cohen. American Media Incorporated's August 2016 payment to the former Playboy model Karen McDougal over her alleged affair with Trump is under the microscope as that payment may have violated campaign finance laws. American Media routinely showed articles in advance to Cohen and killed articles that were negative towards Trump. Trump rescinded an Obama-era rule meant to protect the Great Lakes and oceans bordering the United States. The order encourages more drilling and other industrial uses of the oceans. But Trump also released a long-awaited report on water contamination, quietly slipping it out during the news cycle. The report, which details extensive and serious water contamination from Teflon and PCBs near eastern military bases, had been suppressed as a public relations nightmare. And protesters heckled Kirsten Nielsen, chanting shame and end family separation while she was having dinner, ironically, at a Mexican restaurant in Washington. Diners at that restaurant applauded the protesters. She left after 15 minutes. In a separate incident, also at a Mexican restaurant, Stephen Miller was brutally berated for his politics until he too left. Day 519, June 22nd. Trump threw two House bills he previously supported 1,000% into chaos. Trump tweeted that Republicans should stop wasting their time on immigration until after the midterms, accusing Democrats of creating phony stories of sadness and grief on the border. Three days prior, Trump had tweeted that, quote, now is the best opportunity ever for Congress to change the ridiculous and obsolete laws on immigration. But after the House voted down a conservative immigration bill and postponed indefinitely a vote on a compromise measure, Trump changed his tune. 
Scott Pruitt's small-time grift continued with the news that he spent more than $4.6 million in taxpayer money on personal security. Some of the charges were ludicrous, such as $2,700 on tactical pants and tactical polos. Pruitt's expenditures also include $80,000 on radios and a kit to break down doors. The EPA is not known for having to break down doors. Also, in response to a Freedom of Information request from the Sierra Club, the EPA claims that Scott Pruitt has sent but a single email during his 10-month tenure in office. Day 520, June 23rd. Sarah Huckabee Sanders was asked to leave a Virginia restaurant for her association with Trump's policies. The Red Hen, which has several employees who are gay, asked Sanders and her party to leave, citing her hateful comments. Sanders left. And the White House plans to merge the Education and Labor Departments in a bid to make departments easier to kill and shrink. The new department would also add the word welfare in an attempt to politicize the SNAP food stamp program. Congress would have to approve the merger. Day 521, June 24th. David Bossie, the former deputy campaign manager for Trump, told a black guest on Fox News, quote, you're out of your cotton-picking mind. Bossie attacked Joel Payne, a Democratic strategist who responded savagely, quote, I got some relatives who pick cotton and I'm not gonna sit here and allow you to attack me like that. Fox News called Bossie's outburst deeply offensive and wholly inappropriate. They later suspended Bossie, who has apologized for the comments. Day 522, June 25th. The nation's top border security officials stopped handing over migrant adults who crossed the border with children to prosecutors. The move effectively kills the zero-tolerance policy of Jeff Sessions. Kevin McAllenian, the Commissioner of Customs and Border Protection, said he told border agents not to refer families to the Justice Department until the two agencies can agree on a policy that would allow parents to be prosecuted without separating them from their children. Citing Trump's tariffs, iconic motorcycle manufacturers Harley-Davidson announced they will shift production and jobs from the USA to Europe. The European Union recently hit the company with retaliatory tariffs in response to Trump's trade moves. The Wisconsin-based manufacturer had been praised by Trump. It is unclear how many jobs will be lost as a result. A key predictor of recessions in America is rising due to Trump's trade war. The bond market's yield curve, which has preceded every major recession over the past 60 years, is dipping near the negative, in part because the Fed has stopped quantitative easing to goose the economy. And Trump offered a belated defense of Sarah Huckabee Sanders criticizing the Virginia restaurant that refused her service. Insiders say Trump has cooled toward his press secretary after she stayed at the White House Correspondents' Dinner instead of walking out while a comedian brutally roasted Trump. Stormy Daniels was scheduled to meet with prosecutors from the U.S. Attorney's Office as part of an investigation into Cohen. That meeting, however, was canceled with prosecutors citing leaks. And China blocked HBO days after John Oliver mocked China's President Xi Jinping. The HBO website has been inaccessible to China since Saturday. Oliver made fun of Xi for his censorship, particularly his obsession with comparisons to Winnie the Pooh. Day 526, June 26th. The Supreme Court upheld Trump's ban on travel from mostly Muslim nations, giving a major boost to presidential power in a 5-4 vote. The court's conservatives said the president's statutory power over immigration was not undermined by his incendiary statements about Muslims. Trump called it a tremendous victory, adding, quote, This ruling is also a moment of profound vindication following months of hysterical commentary from the media and Democratic politicians who refuse to do what it takes to secure our border and our country. And Trump lashed out at Harley-Davidson over its plans to move some of his motorcycle production abroad, threatening it with steep punitive taxes. In a series of tweets, Trump accused the Wisconsin-based company of surrendering in his trade war and said the firm would lose its aura if it produced bikes overseas. A Harley-Davidson should never be built in another country, never. Their employees and customers are already very angry at them. If they move, watch, it will be the beginning of the end. They surrender, they quit. And the Supreme Court ruled a state law requiring crisis pregnancy centers to supply women with information about abortion violated the First Amendment. The vote was five to four with the conservative judges in the majority. That case concerned a California law that required centers operated by opponents of abortion to provide women with information about the availability of that procedure. The centers seek to persuade women to choose parenting or adoption. The state had required the centers to put notices that free or low-cost abortion, contraception, and prenatal care are available to low-income women through public programs. Reality winner, the first person prosecuted by the Trump administration on charges of leaking classified information, pled guilty as part of an agreement with prosecutors. She will serve 63 months in prison. Winner was arrested last June and accused of sharing a classified report about Russian interference in the 2016 election with news media. 
The UN released estimates that 18.25 million Americans live in extreme poverty. The Trump administration called that estimate exaggerated, claiming that only 250,000 Americans live in extreme poverty. Day 527, June 27th. In a major upset, Representative Joseph Crowley of New York, once seen as a possible successor to Nancy Pelosi as the leader of the House, lost his primary to a progressive challenger. A 28-year-old political newcomer, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who was a former organizer for Bernie Sanders, soundly beat Crowley in a result that has wide reverberations. Crowley became the first House Democrat to lose a primary in 2018. Robert Mueller plans to produce conclusions and possible indictments related to the Trump-Russia investigation this fall. At least 13 people associated with Trump have had suspicious contacts with Russians. Michael Cohen's lawyers asked a judge to prevent prosecutors from reviewing 12,000 files from the more than 4 million seized by authorities. Cohen claims the documents are covered by attorney-client privilege. The Congressional Budget Office said the federal debt is expected to exceed the size of the economy within a decade. The changes are due to Republican tax cuts. The nonpartisan CBO said the, quote, prospect of large and growing debt poses substantial risks. And Trump's approval ratings felt dramatically this week to 39%. In addition, fully half of Americans believe, quote, we are in real danger of becoming a non-democratic authoritarian country. These are the Trump Diaries. Radio Free welcomed Marin Celeste into the studio on the eve of her book and record release. Celeste played her self-described psychological death metal, discussed the long-awaited release of her collection of photographs and writings, and explained why following Arsenal is a painful curse. Radio Free with John Daly airs every Tuesday, Drive Time. We have one of our favorite guests here in the studio, Marin Celeste. How you doing, Marin? Hey. Marin is actually going to be playing here on Saturday night in support. It's her, uh, is it, you know, I've struggled with this. I, I keep saying it's an album release, but it's not really an album release. I keep saying it's a book release. It's also not really a, a book release. It's kind of a both of those kind of things releases. Is that fair to say? Yes. Uh, the project is called um, I Saw the Sun. It's out from Candor Arts. Uh, and you're doing a show here in support of that. That's at 7 o'clock on, on Saturday the 30th. Tell us a little bit, first of all, about the, the project itself. What What is this? Uh, this is a collection of photographs and writing from the last five years. I've been lucky enough to tour with a company called Manual Cinema, doing uh, feature-length cinematic shadow puppet shows all over the world with live music. And um, I've been to a lot of different countries, and so this is 35-millimeter photographs from a lot of those journeys and also writing and lyrics and uh yeah in a collection of songs and you've been working on this for i mean how many how many years has this been well it's five years worth of photos and um it took me about two years to put it all together because okay. you you traveled with with manual cinnamon for people that don't know manual cinnamon's got a new show coming up too doesn't it yeah Am I correct? what's that called uh end of tv at the chopin theater oh yeah good stuff if you guys don't know Manual Cinema, um, you, I, I would encourage you to do some research on them because they're a very interesting little troupe. Uh, they do shadow puppets with uh, overhead projectors and, and fun stuff like that. But you, you've been to, uh, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know you were in Scotland, you were in Iran, uh, you were in Turkey as well. Uh, no, nope, not Turkey. Um, I th- uh, they've been to more places than I've been because okay. they have multiple touring companies now. But I've been to France, Australia, Iran, Mexico, uh, the Netherlands. Uh, I'm forgetting things. Egypt recently. Uh, e- you know, it was Egypt I was thinking. Yep. Excuse me. That was it. Yep. Um, and so this is a collection of photographs from all those places. Yeah. And also home and also uh, other places um, that I ended up. <laughs> so last time you were here, you played your special blend of psychological death metal for yeah. us. <laughs> Yes, and thank you again for coining that term for me. It's, it's good stuff. <laughs> good stuff. And, and are these, there is an album that is with this. Is this a collection of new songs or is this older songs? Both, mostly new songs. Um, right. A lot, a lot are real new. And um, the 7 Inch has two new songs on it. 
and you're going to be playing with a live band, a backing band for some of the set here. Right. Including, yes. I believe, uh, Danny Vigerial, who's the drummer for, for Los yes. Santos. And Corey Albritton, get well soon, Corey, yes. can play the show. Uh, <laughs> and, and a bunch of other people as well. Um, is it still psychological death metal is the question that's on all our minds. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Um, more so and more so. More so and more so? Yeah, that's more so. It's not the title of the... <laughs> first track though it is not the title of the first track <laughs> no well do you want to play a quick tune for us and then uh, we'll get back in and we'll talk more about your project and and this book and and the weird versions of it and how you came to do this with candor arts sure that okay. sounds good let's do it all right
Contratiempo Radio welcomed Peruvian cumbia legends Los Miros hot off their appearance at Ruido Fest. Los Miros played songs from their vast back catalog live in Studio B and spoke about their legacy in Peru. Contratiempo with Stephanie Manriquez and Charlie Garcia airs every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Entonces presentamos Somos Los Miros en Contratiempo Radio. Lupe Radio. de clima tropical, tierra caliente del oriente peruano, somos los milón de clima tropical, tierra caliente del oriente peruano, y cuando quieras te llevaré para bailar, para gozar, y cuando quieras te llevaré para bailar, para gozar, somos los milón, no gusta el río. Y la belleza que adorna nuestra selva Somos los milos, chicos peruanos No donde el monte que engalana nuestra tierra Pura selva, pura selva, vamos Y las palmas arriba, las palmas arriba, vamos. De Perú para Chicago, Lupa en Radio. Siempre contigo. Somos los milos de clima tropical, tierra caliente del oriente peruano. Somos los milos de clima tropical, tierra caliente del oriente peruano. Y cuando quieras te llevaré para bailar, para gozar Y cuando quieras te llevaré para bailar, para gozar Somos los mismos, no gusta el río Y su belleza que adorna nuestra selva Somos los mismos, chicos peruanos No gusta el monte que engalana nuestra tierra Los Mirlos para el Perú y el mundo. Y para Chicago. En Rayo Lupin. The Lumpen Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. Lumpen Week in Review is overseen by Logan Bay, produced and engineered by Jamie Trecker. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. Lumpen Radio Sting by Dan Jugal. Voiceovers by Ed Marzuski, Jamie Trecker and Shanna Van Volt. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Lumpen Radio broadcasts on 105.5 FM in the Chicago area and worldwide via lumpenradio.com. Yeah.